0: Our scripture reading today comes from the gospel according to John, the 14th chapter, verses 5 and 6. Hear now God's word. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When I was in college, I went to James Madison University. I was a religious studies and philosophy major, which meant that I had to take a number of classes about other world religions. So one of the semesters I was in school, I took a class on Hindu traditions. And my professor, his name is Dr. Swishal Matal, he was a practicing Hindu. And he regularly lectured from the front of the class, pacing back and forth, teaching us about Hindu beliefs and traditions and history and sacred texts and on and on and on. He was remarkably passionate about this subject and teaching it to undergraduates. And even though it was an early class that we had to go to every day, I know a lot of us sat on the edge of our seat, just wanting to learn more and more. And during our final class of the semester, our last class before the final exam, Dr. Mattol asked if there were any lingering questions. Of course, there were a few hands that went up and they were almost all about the final exam. Is there gonna be an essay portion? Is there gonna be multiple choice? How long will we have to fill it all out? And then there was a young woman who had been in my class the whole semester, and that day she was wearing a sweater and then proudly across the front of it, it said, Campus Crusade for Christ. Just for what it's worth, maybe the word crusade isn't something we should be using all the time. Anyway, there she sat with her hand raised and Dr. Mittal said, yes, what is your question? And she said, Dr. Mittal, if you know that you're going to hell for being a Hindu, why wouldn't you convert and become a Christian? to save your eternity. Dr. Matall, if you know that you're gonna to go to hell for being a Hindu, why not come and be a Christian and have salvation as your everlasting reward? The room was completely silent. And I watched Dr. Mattol, his fists clenched by his side, his nostrils began to flare and he shouted, how dare you speak to me that way? I am so sick and tired of you young Christians telling me what I should believe. Get out of my class and don't ever come back. The disciple Thomas, the doubter, but that comes later, he's ever concerned about what Jesus is really saying, what Jesus really means. So he questions the Lord about truth. Jesus, how can we know the way? Jesus says, well, I am the way. I'm truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus does not know the way or the truth or the life. Rather, he is all of those things. And he is not merely a way, but the way. Jesus is the unique, invisible manifestation of God on earth. Now, since the earliest days of the church, this has been our proclamation. If you want to know what God is like, look no further than Jesus Christ. In him, Philippians says, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Some of Jesus' final words have been our rallying cry, Go, therefore, baptizing the nations in the name of the Father, and the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Spirit, hence our propensity for evangelism. You sure you want to go to hell? It wasn't long after the time of the Acts of the Apostles that the community of God called church came to understand that outside the church there is no salvation. That is, If you would like to experience the forgiving pardon of God, you have to be taught the ways of the church. You have to engage in acts of piety and mercy. You have to be baptized in order to find out who you really are. And even after baptism, a life of faith means living your faith. You have to be present in worship. You have to pray daily. You have to read your scripture daily. You have to contribute to the needs of others. You need to give of your financial resources to the church. I remember being so... So uncomfortable that day in class all those years ago because of what my my peer said to our professor. In that moment, I thought she maybe just wanted to frustrate him or draw out some sort of reaction, which she certainly did. But over the years, I've come to think that maybe she said what she said because of her faith. I think perhaps she was genuinely concerned about his salvation. She wanted to know why. He would insist on going down a path that would separate him from God forever. After all, Scripture does say, no one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. So we offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Why not have a second sermon to go with that one? John twelve thirty two, And when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Karl Barth, I love to talk about Karl Barth. Sorry about your bad luck. Theologian from the 20th century was vague regarding his understanding of the totality of salvation. In his lectures and his writings and his books and his sermons, he he hedges close to this understanding that if God says all, maybe God means all. He gets so close to affirming a what we call a universalist understanding of God's redemption work. That is, if God is the God of Scripture, then maybe we should take God seriously. Bart never outright claimed that all shall be saved. Though once, after a series of lectures here in the US, A young theologian raised his hand afterward and said, Professor Bart, I have a question. I would like to hear once and for all, do you or do you not believe that all will be saved? And Bart crossed his arms and tussled his hair and said with his high-pitched Swiss accent, well, that's an interesting question. Let me put it this way. I won't be disappointed if heaven is crowded. I won't be disappointed if heaven is crowded. The question of interreligious religious connectionness, how, how different faiths relate to one another, it has been with us since the beginning. It's even in the Bible. The people of Israel are forever having to figure out and discern what it means to be God's people while interacting with people who are outside the covenant. For Christians today, it is a question about the scope of salvation at least according to the scriptures that we have we might think of the oft quoted john 3:16 for god so loved the methodists that he gave his only begotten son no for god so loved the world that he gave his son or we might think about the many times throughout scripture in which individuals outside of Israel, think about Rahab from Jericho, Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon, the centurion who says, truly this man was God's son when Jesus dies. All of these people play integral roles in the story of God with God's people. We might think about how in the very beginning of the Bible, we read that all of humankind is created in the image of God. We might think about all the stories from Christ's ministry when he did not come for the religious elites, those who did what they were supposed to do, but instead he came for the last, the least, the lost, the little, even the dead. We might think about how heaven, whatever heaven is, is filled only and entirely with forgiven sinners. Remember, even the worst stinker in the world is someone for whom Christ died might think about Paul. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. God's love knows no bounds. If God's love is so magnificent, so unconditional, then it not only extends to all of us here, but also to everyone. Jesus says, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God proves God's love for us that while we were sinners, God dies for us. Which is all just another way of saying, I'm not going to be disappointed if heaven is crowded. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Why not three for the price of one? John thirteen, thirty four, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. One more time. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O oh Lord our rock and our redeemer. Amen. june seventeenth, twenty fifteen a young white man named Dylan Roof walked into a Bible study at Mother Emanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, South Carolina. For over an hour, they sat together and they read scripture. For over an hour, they sat together and they prayed. And at the end of the hour, Dylan Roof stood up and he said, you want something to pray about? I'll give you something to pray about. And he murdered nine of them. The next day, I was sitting in my church office in Stanton, Virginia, and I picked up the phone and I called the pastor of the local AME church and I asked him what we could do. And Dr. Scott said, well, we can do the only thing we can do, Taylor. We can pray. And so he and I hastily put together a prayer vigil service that was to take place at the Allen Chapel AME that evening and we asked people to spread the word. We thought maybe we'd have 20, maybe 30 people But we had so many that we couldn't fit them in the chapel. We had to open up the doors and the windows, and people surrounded the church on the sidewalk and in the yard. When it came time to start, Dr. Scott walked up to the pulpit, and we saw him shaking, and he said, I can't do this alone. I need all of the other clergy who are here to join me. And so I stood up. The Baptist pastor stood up. The Episcopal priest stood up and we went up to the front and we wrapped our arms around Dr. Scott and he said, that's not enough because he also saw the local rabbi and the local imam. He said, I need you up here with me too. So we had representatives of Christian denominations. We had a representative from the mosque and from the synagogue and we did the only thing we knew to do. We prayed and we prayed and we wept and we prayed and then we prayed some more. How do we relate to people of other faiths? That's a question I've heard throughout my entire ministry. Without a doubt, the existence of the interaction with other religions is perhaps among the most significant challenges and opportunities for the church today. Similarly, with the rise of the so-called nuns, those with no religious affiliation whatsoever, it leaves the people called church with a task today of being able to interact with those who do not believe with those who do believe, and those who believe differently than what we believe. So how do we relate? Well, it's really, really complicated. And the Bible doesn't do us any favors. I mean, we can take all sorts of verses from the Bible and make all different conclusions for what it's worth. All three passages today come from one gospel. It's not like I took one from the Old Testament, one from the, they're all from John's gospel. We can get different conclusions. And we can spend time affirming the interconnectedness, let's say, between the Abrahamic faiths. How we we share scripture in common. We share prophets in common. We, We can talk about, like I did with the children's message, that the golden rule appears in almost every major world religion. But at the end of the day, we all don't believe the same thing. We don't practice the same way. But for us, for Christians, Jesus does tell us how to behave. Love one another I give you a new commandment I hope it has been true for you as it has been for me that I have experienced God's love through a great number of people many of whom have nothing whatsoever to do with the church what has been revealed for us through Christ's life his death, his resurrection is that God desires us to be in relationship with other people weep with those who weep rejoice with those who rejoice. It means we're called to be vulnerable with people we disagree with, with people who believe differently than we do, just as much as we're called to be vulnerable with the people in our church, who, by the way, also believe things that we don't. We are called to live lives of love just as God has loved and continues to love us. I say this all the time, but what we believe shapes how we behave. And if we believe that God in Christ really is the fullness of love, then we need not look further about how we are to love others. And so I'll end with some words that I've stolen, sort of, from John Wesley. Though we may not think alike... Though our differences of opinion, our differences of religious understanding might vary considerably. Though we may not even agree on what it means to believe. Though we may not think alike, may we not love alike. Without all doubt, we may. And we must. And so this I offer to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. One God now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, you have offered yourself to us through scripture and song and sacrament and sermon, even in silence. We pray for the courage and the wisdom to respond to your love by loving, loving everyone, being reckless even with our love. It's perhaps the most important thing in the world. Amen.